the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. All right. Let's get it going right here or right now. This is New Generation Declassified. And you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And every single week, we take a journey back in time and we go back and look at the WWF New Generation era from the mid-1990s. And this week, continuing, not ready for Coliseum Chad number four yet. It's fine. Going to continue with the list I've put together that I think will be a uh, nice little compliment to your new generation listening pleasures as I hear uh, cracking of drinks in the background. You can open up any kind of beverage you want as you strap yourself in for some new generation goodness. This week, looking at exactly five. Yes, that's right. Count them. One, two, three, four, five angles that help lead to a long-term program or a main event program on WWF TV or help build a main event player on WWF TV that might get overlooked. So I see a lot of lists out there on YouTube. I see a lot of lists out there on social media. I see different websites that create these uh, conglomerations of moments and people and superstars. A lot of them don't make sense uh, because a lot of them weren't really watching at the time. Uh, This one I think uh, might make sense if you did not watch, and you did watch kind of in the same vein. I think if you watched, you know what I'm talking about. And if you didn't, it gives you a good idea of what to go back and take a look at. Um, especially a few that I really think get overlooked and I've had on my mind uh, over the last couple of weeks because I feel they um, kind of get lost in the shuffle because there are so many great moments created through history that you know you got to go back and um you have to look at some of the ones that might get overlooked that they were great they were very well done they were perfectly executed but because there are so many memorable moments and angles i guess your brain can only fit so much and i guess you know the programming and the uh the people who put the shows together in uh in stanford feel some things need to be more uh, featured than others you know and that goes with the uh the programming of on demand content as well as the old home video content some of these things you might have seen, and some of them you didn't. Some you might have seen during their tenure on television, and others kind of get lost to time. So uh, I hope these five I present to you today will kind of toggle the old brain and either make you remember them or have you go out and check them out afterwards. Because that's, again, the goal of this show is to either introduce you or refresh you on the new generation era. Because, as we've said countless times, people may shit on it a little bit, but that's okay. You can have your opinion. It's fine. But this really isn't a bad era of wrestling, especially if you're not really enjoying what's going on today. This is something that I've kind of come to um, a realization uh, as this at this point of my wrestling uh, fandom that it's not going to get any better for me. It might get better for you. It might get better for a lot of people. But for me, I think I've reached my peak. I'm now going back and watching stuff as if it's brand new. And I'm not talking about the same shows over and over. But going out and checking maybe some shows I, I overlooked or didn't see or had forgotten because it's been so freaking long because, my God, this is so long ago. You know, you think about things from ancient history, and sometimes you have to kind of look at the old uh, 
year on the calendar and say, man, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it was indeed that long ago. So let's get into the countdown. First one, we're going to, I think we're basically going chronological. We might have to skip around a little bit, but I'm going to start with the, uh, the first uh, forgotten moment that did lead to a pretty big uh, title match. And we're going all the way back to January 1993, the January 10th edition of Wrestling Challenge. Uh, featured a very special report with one Raymond Rougeau, of course, of the Rougeau family, became a wonderful backstage interviewer, a platform interviewer, as well as a French commentator during the mid-90s in the WWF after he retired in 1990 as a tag team wrestler. Kind of went away for a little bit, but basically became, and I think almost up to a few years ago, was a very prominently featured French commentator for WWF slash WWE television programming and pay-per-view in uh, in Canada and Montreal, wherever the hell they have the French feed. I guess France might be another place they have the French feed. If you hear it there, you got Raymond Rougeau. Uh, but this segment featured Raymond Rougeau interviewing one Owen Hart, the Rocket. Now, with all the tie-ins to Owen Hart as of late, you might think that that's why I picked this to be on the list, but no. I picked this to be on the list because of the man who interrupts it, and that's Razor Ramon. And when Scott Hall passed away, I saw this shared a couple of times, but this to me is one of my favorite Razor Ramon uh, memories. And this is from the absolute heel stage of the Razor Ramon career, and that is he attacks poor Owen Hart in the middle of this little interview with Raymond Rougeau backstage. Uh, if you go and watch it, Owen Hart and Raymond Rougeau are very awkwardly just placed in the middle of the locker room, sitting on chairs. Owen is in his 1993 uh, casual splendor as he's got his Zubas and like uh, athletic jacket on. Um, but Raymond Rougeau is just interviewing the, uh, the rocket about his, uh, you know, rise through the ranks and his brother, Brett and out of nowhere, Razor Ramon clotheslines the shit out of Owen Hart and knocks him out of his chair and puts the boots to him. Uh, Raymond Rougeau calling for help. Uh, and it just always stays in my head. The Razor Ramon going, Hey rocket, Hey rocket, man, tell this to your brother, man. It's such a great buildup for the Razor Ramon, Bret Hart, Royal Rumble, 1993 championship match. It's a, it's a great match. Probably one of the best of, uh, Brett's early championship tenure, uh, was definitely the biggest match Brett had had, since probably Survivor Series, you know, again, there was not a lot of pay-per-views, but Brett really wasn't featured on TV uh, defending the title against, you know, huge names or uh, big stars. And Razor Ramon was really the first challenger to uh, Bret Hart on pay-per-view because the one with Shawn Michaels, I, I don't really count that as a, as a huge challenge because it was right after he won the belt. And there really wasn't a lot of buildup. And I think from what I remember, the match is actually taking place anyway. Uh, just so happened it became for the uh, the WWF Championship, but the match between Razor Ramon and Bret Hart is uh, it's a great match. I personally love it. That is not a great Royal Rumble. It's really not very memorable at all. That's something that stands out, and I think ends up sealing the show. And you would look at the back of the card and you'd say, "Oh well, how does Shawn Michaels and Razor and uh, Marty Jannetty not steal the show?" Well, that's a very well documented story. I believe we've talked about it here on the air. 
it just it wasn't happening for the two of them that night. It's not a bad match. I do like the match, but uh, the Razor Ramon and Bret Hart match is uh, is pretty damn wonderful. And I'm sure somebody in AEW might interrupt, <laughs> might have their own interpretation of it and uh, just recreate it anytime soon with all the uh, Bret Hart tributes that have been going on out there as of late. Uh, but yeah, go check it out. It's on Wrestling Challenge again, January 10th, 1993. They replayed it on a ton of WWF programming in the lead up to that Royal Rumble match, but you never saw it ever again. And it's just, it's a brutal attack. Um, again, for uh, Owen Hart's great 90s attire, it's worth the uh, the chuckle. But besides that, it's an awesome beatdown. Ray Rougeau sells it really, really well. And uh, Owen Hart gets his ass kicked. And, uh, you know, at that point, you didn't really have an investment in Owen Hart as Brett's brother. You didn't really care. You're just like, oh, yeah, there's Owen Hart. He's the undercard guy. You know, he's good in that tag team with uh, high high energy. He's good with the new foundation. Yeah, whatever. I like him. I'll take it. But, you know, little did we know, not too long uh, after, later in the year, we get a real outpouring of character from uh, Owen Hart as we saw that that just dastardly heel kind of rise to the surface. You know, the cream rises to the top, and that was the rocket at the time, Owen Hart. I did like the blue attire of Owen Hart. You know, kind of borrows from that blue blazer uh, singlet that he used to wear. But I did like the pink on Brett, the blue with Owen. I thought it worked out. Uh, pretty good color scheme. Uh, but I also did like when Owen Hart kind of adapted his style, uh, evolved his style, and kind of made it look like uh, Brett's singlet and, and tights, but it was his own variation of it. But, you know, I, I guess those are the little things that, the powers that be, the creative services uh, end up really kind of making sure they cater to a specific wrestler. Uh, but yeah, that's one. I mean, if I was going to rank them, this is probably my favorite one of these five I'm about to read. But uh, this is a great one. No, no, no doubt about it. Wrestling Challenge, January 10th, 1993. Now, this one we talked about when Husey was on for our WrestleMania 9 that could have been. And I'll tell you what, I meant to mention this last week. The absolute horror in my face if you could have seen it when i found my favorite youtube channel wrestling handheld had disappeared off the face of the earth and i don't know if they got hit with a million copyright strikes or they just decided to close up shop uh they had slowly but surely been uploading unbelievable handheld content and we're talking house shows uh you know dark matches stuff you've never seen before uh, international tours, Germany, you know, France and, and Madison Square Garden and the Boston Garden and all these great classic venues. And then, you know, high school gym shows that guys were bringing in their camcorders to record because it was a school fundraiser. Well, part of this wrestling handheld YouTube wrestling handheld YouTube channel was the Lex Luger knockout of Bret Hart that was essentially built on paper for a Lex Luger versus Bret Hart feud that absolutely never happened. But on the commentary at WrestleMania nine, it's referenced. You think they're going that way with all uh, the, the kind of um, discussion they had about it, especially during WrestleMania nine and afterwards. Um, but it kind of went nowhere. And, and, and if you watch this uh, footage, which I got the chance to see, it's pretty it's pretty cool it's pretty good how they did it they had everybody kind of come out and do a little speech to the crowd it was a little brunch 
people are eating their pancakes and their waffles and listening to me and Gene interview the WWF superstars. And as Bret Hart is uh, being interviewed by me and Gene, Lex Luger, who had already talked a few minutes prior, just comes out of nowhere and just absolutely uh, whacks Bret Hart from behind, knocks him out, and there's a huge, huge uh, melee and confusion, and it's very cool. And I have no idea why this wasn't broadcast on any television whatsoever. I mean, even to have a handheld clip or a just a one camera on site to get this angle that's being shot, I don't know why they wouldn't have done it. But again, this is 1993. It's not the year uh, 2022. They're not going out of their way to to build stuff the way they do now. But yeah, it was uh, on on April 4th, 1993, at the uh, the the Caesar's Palace brunch. Featuring, ready for this? These are the, who the event uh, interviews were. The WWF Tag Team Champions, Ted DiBiase and IRS. The WWF Intercontinental Champion, Shawn Michaels. Crush, Tatanka, Mr. Perfect, Chief J. Strongbow, Tony Gurria, Rene Goulet, Todd Pettengill, and of course, Bret Hart and Lex Luger. And this just led to nothing. Now, if you think about this, and this is just another kind of crazy thing when we see what WrestleMania weekend looks like now. Uh, the matinee show of WrestleMania nine took place at about, I want to say on the East coast. Oh gosh. I remember it started maybe at five or six o'clock because uh, I remember getting it on pay-per-view uh, and, and being with my friends and it kind of being like, Oh, it's over now. Um, what do we do? And, you know, I remember it being earlier in the night, but yeah, what time was this brunch? You know, <laughs> I, mean, I can't see these guys just leaving the backstage area to go to a brunch. Uh, pretty crazy if you uh, if you think about it. But how do you shoot an angle at a brunch and not have a, a, a camera on the scene to document it and then rebroadcast it? I, I just don't get it at all. And I wonder if they have, if they recorded the footage for the Bret Hart VHS tape, uh, one of the Bret Hart tapes we covered um, months and months ago on uh, New Generation Declassified, uh, where Gorilla Monsoon and Bret are outside Caesar's Palace during WrestleMania weekend. I wonder at what point. They shot this and still not having a camera filming this angle. I don't get it. It makes absolutely zero sense. But nonetheless, it was a part of the list that that Husey and I discussed uh, about probably last summer at this point. And um, if we had any of those matches that took place at WrestleMania 9, it would have been a completely different event. And I think a lot of people would really change their minds as it relates to uh, WrestleMania nine overall. Cause I mean, I don't mind it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. You know, it's just kind of there. I think I've appreciated it a little bit more now in retrospect, but it's just, it's not one of those shows that I'm either going to go out of my way to watch or, um, you know, just go, go to go study something from it. There wasn't anything that I feel was that memorable. Although, like I said, I do love the Hulk Hogan part of it. I like that Hogan, comes in and wins the uh, the the whole thing at the end. Uh, that's pretty wonderful, but you know, not really the greatest uh, WrestleMania on paper. But what can you say? Not everyone can be a winner. Uh, now we're going to move forward about a year, and we're going to talk about how about this building up uh, a huge run for this guy, uh, Bob Backlund, Chicken Wings, the World. And what do I mean by that? Babyface Bob Backlund, he had returned at the tail end of 1992. He was 
the returning hero. Bob Backlund was a huge star in the WWF in the late 70s and early 80s. He was a champion for many, many years. Uh, it just so happened, uh, you know, his dispute with Vince about not wanting to turn heel in 1984 after Hulk Hogan came in um, kind of, you know, blew up in his face. They didn't need Bob Backlund anymore. He left the territory, went on to wrestle a little bit in the AWA and also, um, you know, really <laughs> build up a pretty big name for himself as a, a wrestling coach. Uh, in Connecticut area, still traveled all across the United States uh, doing tournaments and guest speaking roles, uh, but then popped back up in 1992 in the WWF. And, you know, I remember first seeing Bob Backlund and I'm like, oh, wow, that's he looks different. He kind of grew his hair in a little bit and he was a little older, you know, he's a veteran. Um, but you didn't really take him that seriously. He was in a lot of, you know, one-sided squash matches on TV, and then he would be put in against, like, a semi-star, and it would go either way. You know, he'd either get a uh, a fluke little roll-up victory or somebody would beat him a bigger heel, and you just didn't really think that much of Bob Backlund. But here comes Bret Hart, this great fighting champion, and he's taking on all comers, and this is during the time where he's having great babyface versus babyface matches on TV to include, and yes, get your uh, recorders ready because this is one of them. He has an unbelievable match with Virgil, of all people, on Superstars. He has the infamous match against the 1-2-3 Kid, which has been copied by other superstars, uh, trying to recreate some gold with Bret Hart over the last uh, few years or so. Uh, but he has the babyface versus babyface match with the one, two, three kid on Monday Night Raw, which everybody loves. And Sean Waltman says is one of the top matches of his career. But then on the superstars in 1994, we get Bret Hart taking on Bob Backlund. And it's a great match. If you've never seen it, it is an absolutely uh, unbelievable match uh, for TV. And I'll, I'll just preface that it's not over-the-top excitement. It's not, oh my God, this is the greatest match I've ever seen in my life. But for television in 1994, it's pretty damn good. And, you know, they gave it time and they made sure they kind of, they, they took their, their liberties to get the angle over uh, because what you saw happen at the end, you absolutely didn't see it coming. And I don't care who you are, or what kind of fan you were, if you were a smart fan, if you were a dirt sheet fan, if you were a, a, a fan that knew every wrestling hotline on speed dial and you could go out of your way to call them on a daily basis and find out what was going on in every territory and you knew every single person's real name, it doesn't matter. Nobody saw the fact that after Bret Hart defeats Bob Backlund, that Bob Backlund would snap after I think like the second or third handshake that Brett would go to, uh, to get from Bob Backlund and my goodness, did he unleash one of the most animalistic heel turns in history? Just the spit and saliva and the crazy eyes and the screaming that went on while Bob Backlund throws Bret Hart into the chicken wing and will not relinquish the hold it was, uh, you know, violent. It was uh, kind of barbaric for, again, television, 1994, Saturday morning. It was a shocker. And it, it really helped catapult this crazy, 
Bob Backlund that we would get to know over the next little bit. And you know what? I'll tell you something. It really worked, and it made you believe that Bob Backlund was out of his mind. So when I say Bob Backlund chicken wings the world, soon after this match, uh, which, by the way, I meant to uh, mention this, took place in Ocean City, Maryland, on July 3rd, 1994, it was broadcast on Superstars on the July 30th, 1994 edition of Superstars. Bret Hart beats Bob Backlund at 14:27 with a small package after the bout. Backlund shakes Bret's hand, but then slaps him and attacks him, applies the chicken wing. Moments later, Backlund's pulled off by several referees, uh, with Backlund then looking at his hands in disbelief before walking away now this would lead to different segments with people from uh bob backland's past coming back to kind of try to talk some sense into him because it was something about looking at the hands and the chicken wing being applied that put over that crazy nature that was inside of this mild-mannered bob backland just like being a wrestler and just wanted to compete and wanted to avenge losing the WWF title in 1983 to the Iron Sheik. Again, this is another cool thing for that time. They started showing the footage of Bob Backlund losing the belt in 1983, and you saw the Iron Sheik, and that was very taboo at the time, and I don't think people realize that. You didn't see old stars on uh, television if they weren't in the company anymore, and they show the Iron Sheik, and they refer to the Iron Sheik by name, and you got to see why. Bob Backlund kind of had this axe to grind, and it was because his manager, Arnold Skolin, threw on the towel without his knowledge because uh, he was in the camel clutch. And because of that, Bob Backlund lost the title. Hulk Hogan would come in soon afterwards, and as they say, the rest is history. And he went nuts, and he locked Brett into that uh, cross-faced chicken wing, wouldn't let go, looked at his hands, and then starting, let me see. I'm trying to find the exact minute he did this. But beginning in August, they decided to start bringing in people from Backlund's past to kind of get uh, maybe more of a, a handle on them. They brought Arnold Skolin out. And the one that I really, really think was uh, one of the, the most, <laughs> again, barbaric, um, over-the-top, like, out of this world, um, unhinged violence that they could show at any time on 1994 WWF TV. Uh, it ended up being shown in September, but it was filmed in August. Uh, Vince McMahon conducts an in-ring interview with Bob Backlund, and there was a demonstration of the chicken wing, and it was on WWF magazine writer Lou Gianfrido, who was a described Bob Backlund superfan, uh, Lou Gianfrido, if you want, if you read WWF magazine going back to the heyday of the 80s, always had articles in there. Little guy, uh, very knowledgeable. I've heard him reference on some other shows. And uh, from what I heard, great dude. He would be an awesome guest for a new generation declassified uh, show. But he snaps and he puts him in the chicken wing. And Randy Savage has to leave the announce table to get it to break up. That's when you knew something was happening. When a guy like the Macho Man would leave the announce booth to, to get involved and not to be a part of the angle, not to interject himself and then have a match with Bob Backlund the next week. But it shows you that that's how animalistic a guy like Backlund was, that he would take out guys like Arnold Skoland, his former manager, Luigi and Frito, a super fan, and just a magazine editor, and the Vince is on the microphone screaming at Bob Backlund to let him go. He's just a writer. And 
because Lou Gianfrido was a smaller guy, Backlund is just torquing him and twisting him and turning him. And it looked like it was so incredibly painful. He almost looked like a rag doll. And I don't mean to take that as any bit uh, uh, of an insult to Lou Gianfrido. He just, he was getting thrown around like yesterday's garbage by Bob Backlund. And it helped get over the fact that Backlund was unhinged and he'll slap the chicken wing on anybody. He doesn't care if a match gets overturned. He doesn't care if the decision's reversed. He's going to snap that thing on you and you are not letting go. And what would that lead to? The huge payoff? Well, that's the 1994 Survivor Series where you would see a new World Wrestling Federation champion and that is Bob Backlund. And that was an absolute shocker that Bob Backlund wins the WWF title in 1994, 12 years or 11 years after he, he had won it or lost it. He's the champion again. It was unbelievable. And of course the rain would last a mere days before diesel uh, beat him at Madison square garden. But still that angle, that match with Bret Hart on superstars leading to the chicken winging the world. It was, uh, it was the perfect groundwork being laid for the Bob Backlund, Mr. Bob Backlund, not so character that he would be not only through 1994, but beyond. And basically, I, I hate to say, Bob Backlund would really never lose that. Uh, and does anybody remember the fact that Bob Backlund was on TV regularly only a few years ago with Darren Young? I think a lot of people forget that. Uh, Bob Backlund was a major part of a storyline uh, only a mere, what, four years ago at this point? It's crazy. Um, but yeah, that's a great one. Bob Backlund had a hell of a run in the new generation. Uh, not fitting the new generation mold, but perfectly uh, included, in my opinion. Uh, then how about this one? See, I think this is like kind of maybe the, the least impactful on the list because it does kind of get overlooked because the the app, the turn went absolutely nowhere. Um, but how about Psycho Sid being introduced as a member of the Million Dollar Corporation leading to the babyface turn? of Bam Bam Bigelow. Now, I guess, again, out of the five of them, this is probably the least impactful because the Bam Bam Babyface run was kind of a stinker. But nonetheless, it helped the Action Zone, uh, the new WWF television show, kind of have its own identity. And there's a big moment happening on the Action Zone. Um, but after Sid turned on Shawn Michaels and powerbombed him the night after WrestleMania 11, I mean, I guess there was really no other place for him to go other than with the million dollar corporation and, and being that the million dollar corporation was a pretty big stable at that point, you know, it just made sense that uh, they would add him, I guess. But after Bam Bam loses to uh, Lawrence Taylor at WrestleMania 11, what else is there really to do than turn babyface? What else is he going to do? He can't really challenge for a title. He just lost to a, uh, a non-wrestler in the main event of a match. So you, I guess you have some sympathy for him, but so right around the end of April in 1995, we got the official uh, kind of unveiling of Sid with the million dollar corporation, bam, bam in the ring. They introduced Sid, the members of the million dollar corporation lift Sid on their shoulders and parade him around the ring. He's now the greatest thing since sliced bread. Bam, bam is still there and would end up quitting the million dollar team soon thereafter. Him and Diesel would take on Tataka and Sid at King of the Ring. Sid would have a little feud with Diesel. It really messed up Diesel's elbow and kind of screwed up the whole entire summer. 
it's very forgettable. And by the, the fall, Bam Bam is gone. So it really meant nothing. But there were problems with the click. There were problems with uh, Sid and Diesel, you know, and it just kind of fizzled. So, again, it was a big thing that it led to the turn of Bam Bam after the WrestleMania 11 match. But out of the five, this is probably the least impactful and the least enthusiastic I am of any of the ones that I did put down pen to paper. Um, but Bam Bam is a heel. I think maybe if they didn't job him out right away to Lawrence Taylor, could have got a, a pretty extended run. I think maybe could have been utilized in a, in a higher tier feud with Diesel, maybe even a, a Bret Hart. Him and Bret always had great matches. That would have been pretty cool, but it didn't work out that way. We can armchair quarterback it all day long. If you want to go uh, get WWE 2K22, create it yourself and have yourself a day. Uh, final one going forward, November, 1995, going to Monday night raw yet again, the night after the survivor series, which took place on November 20th, 1995, not too far down the road from where I am at this present time in Richmond, Virginia, Shawn Michaels battling Owen Hart in the main event of Monday Night Raw in the show that saw the kind of tweener turn of Big Daddy Cool Diesel the night after losing to Bret Hart. Uh, this night would also would be significant because this would be the final night that Dean Douglas participated in a Monday Night Raw. This would be basically when Sean, uh, Shane Douglas would declare himself done with the WWF, was in Richmond, Virginia the night after Survivor Series. But what happened to Shawn Michaels that night? Well, the angle that would lead to Shawn Michaels winning the WWF championship at WrestleMania 12 would take place on this Monday Night Raw and a great match with Owen Hart. Very kind of short, about um, you know, six minutes, eight minutes, something like that. Uh, as Shawn Michaels was performing a very impressive, uh, you know, uh, flip back over the top rope. He did the thing where he clotheslines. Owen over the uh, the top rope and then kind of lifts himself back in. He flipped to the hard camera, grabbed his head, fell to a knee, and then hit the mat and was presumably knocked out from what? Well, a couple weeks prior, they had talked about it at uh, pretty great detail that Shawn Michaels was attacked by multiple thugs outside of a Syracuse nightclub. These thugs uh, taking a toll on Michaels physically that he was never the same again in the eyes of Vince McMahon and the WWF. But realistically, uh, he was mouthing off to a Marine, and the Marine pulled him out of a car, kicked the shit out of him, and that was really it. But on this television program, this was some real shit. If anybody remembers it uh, and you watched it in real time, this was crazy. I remember my grandmother seeing it and being concerned. I remember my, my young brother seeing it and being very concerned about Shawn Michaels, but uh, this was sold so well by not only Shawn Michaels, but Owen Hart, Jim Cornette, Mr. Fuji, Vince McMahon, Jerry Lawler, the referees, the paramedics, the EMTs, the road agents, and anybody and everybody who came to ringside to look over Shawn Michaels. You got serious voice Vince, serious voice Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler asking what he could do to help uh, on camera, Pat Patterson talking to Shawn Michaels to see if he could hear him. I mean, this was some powerful stuff for 1995, you know, very in, invested in who Shawn Michaels was at this point. 
as a WWF performer, but my goodness, the, uh, the, the absolute heartstrings being pulled by uh, the creative team here that you thought he was done. And I mean, they, they listed some of the people who came to ringside. Uh, so it was Vince, Pat Patterson, Dave Hebner, Renee Goulet, JJ Dillon, Jerry Lawler. And of course, you know, like I said, Owen Hart showing concern and Jim Cornette showing concern. This was crazy how real this felt at the time that, you know, it got you invested in Shawn Michaels. So what would he do? He would leave after November 20th, 1995. He'd be off television. We would not see Shawn Michaels in a WWF ring until he came back when his number was drawn at the 1996 Royal Rumble, which would he, he would ultimately win. He would face Owen Hart at the February 96 in your house. And it ended up, even though he won the, the Royal Rumble, it basically was uh, whoever won that match, Owen versus Shawn Michaels, did go on to face Brett, which we know Shawn Michaels did. The Iron Man match took place at WrestleMania 12. And as they say, the rest is history. But this was an absolute, um, uh, brilliantly, brilliantly done angle. And again, please go back and watch it. It, it at, For that at the time, it felt so real that you um, you had to feel some sympathy for Shawn Michaels, you know, it really made you feel uh, like we lost him. And this is where, you know, the first time I believe the tell me a lie video, I, maybe I'm wrong on that. I could be a little off on the tell me a lie. Um, Shawn Michaels video. Maybe that's 97. If anybody knows that for a fact, please drop it in the comments. I don't uh, not trying to be an expert here. I might be wrong, but I, I, I felt like the tell me a lie video was around this time. Uh, that of course had to, you know, hit you, hit you in the feels. The uh, the tell me a lie video, first time you you got to see that. But uh, these are five angles that I feel help either progress a storyline, build a, a a star in a way that only the WWF could, and have been kind of forgotten to time. You know, I don't think anybody talks about Shawn Michaels passing out the way he did after an Owen Hart uh, in Ziguri and uh, you know flip back over the rope. You know, I don't think everybody talks about the chicken wing summer of Bob Backlund and how he was slapping that hold on everybody and wouldn't release it without uh, having a decision reverse. You know, I don't think a lot of people remember Razor Ramon beating the crap out of Owen Hart in uh, that segment on Wrestling Challenge. So if I helped you either find these for the first time or refresh your memory on them, then I did my job. And these 30 plus minutes that you spent with me were well worth it. And that to me is the icing on the cake as we get to wrap it up and get out of here for this week. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Chad EMB. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at IB exclusives head over to below the Get yourself a Chadster shirt as well as an IB exclusives shirt. Uh, every single purchase goes right back into uh, helping the Chadsters kids have dinner on the table every single night. No, I'm just kidding. It's a, uh, it's a great uh, show of support for the Chadster and everything. IB exclusives. If you can go over and purchase a shirt and uh, I'd be ever so grateful. And of course it's tmptempire.com for this website, all of the podcasts under the TMPT umbrella right here, tmptempire.com. So get your tape players ready. Go back and watch some of those vintage VHS cassettes, or as it is in 2022, fire up your Peacock or go to YouTube if it's uh, available in pirated form. Watch those angles and get back to me in the morning. 
And this is your old buddy, the Chadster. I will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.